great singing. A hundred people that love the Lord would sing better than a thousand people that don't any day of the year, and you prove that. First John chapter four this morning. First John chapter four. Our responsive reading is taken from verses fourteen through nineteen. That's First John chapter four, verses fourteen through nineteen. Allow me to read the three even-numbered verses, beginning with verse fourteen. Would you read with me, please, the three odd-numbered verses, beginning with verse number fifteen? Once more, that's First John chapter four, verses fourteen through nineteen, and reading responsively. And we have seen and do testify that the Father sent the Son to be the Savior of the world. Whosoever shall confess that Jesus is the Son of God, God dwelleth in him, and he in God. And we have known and believed the love that God hath to us. God is love, and he that dwelleth in love dwelleth in God, and God in him. Herein is our love made perfect, that we may have boldness in the day of judgment, because as he is, so are we in this world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casteth out fear, because fear hath torment. He that feareth is not made perfect in love. We love him because he first loved us. May God add his blessing to the reading of his word. Let's make our prayer. Now, Heavenly Father, Spirit of God, we thank you so much for these wonderful words of Scripture. We thank you for this perfect love that you speak about. Lord, we thank you for this truth mixed right in the middle of John's hymn of love, that we may have boldness in the day of judgment. Pray that you might speak to every heart as we preach your word this morning. Speak to the saint's heart and be those that need to receive Christ as their Savior. Spirit of God, do the work of grace in their heart that only you can do, and we'll thank you for it. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. 1 John chapter 4, our 27th message, third message or fourth message in this chapter 4. We looked at verses 1 through 3 several weeks ago. We preached a message entitled, I know I am not to believe every spirit. Beloved, believe not every spirit, but try the spirits whether they be of God. For there are many false prophets that have gone out into the world. We preached a message a few weeks ago now entitled, I know I am born, that's born again, to win. We are more than conquerors through him that loved us. The, him that, uh, we, are, uh, we have overcome him that's in the world because greater is he that's in us than he that's in the world. And then we preached beginning in John's hymn of love, which begins in verse 7 of this chapter and goes to chapter 5, verse number 5. We preached a message entitled, I know... God's love lifted me from sinking sands. He lifted me. With precious hands, he lifted me. Oh, the love of God that passes knowledge. Behold, what manner of love the Father hath bestowed upon us that we should be called the sons of God. Now, I make my disclaimer and we'll begin. I'm rushing forward here and we could spend, I'm sure, easily 10 messages in these few verses before us, verses 14 through 19 I'm referring to. But I've chosen the middle verse for our text verse as I was perusing this week. I came across these wonderful words as I was meditating on God's word. It says, herein is our love made perfect. Again, this John's hymn of love, as it's sometimes called, synonymous with or uh, in parallel with 1 Corinthians 13, Paul's hymn of love. We find the word love 25 times or a form thereof 
in verses from verses 7 to verse 21. Herein is our love made perfect that we may have boldness in the day of judgment. I got thinking about that. That we may have boldness in the day of judgment. Let's finish the verse though. Because as he is, who is Jesus now? High and lifted up and glorified. As he is, so are we in this world. Child of God, we are already sons of God. Doth not yet appear what we shall be, but we know that when he shall appear, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. But now are we the sons of God. But that wonderful phrase, right in the middle of this love hymn, herein is our love made perfect that we may have boldness in the day of judgment. I don't know about you, but last time I checked, judgment in courtrooms are not a place of, to, if, you're, if you're guilty especially and you're, on the, you're there to be tried, it's not a place of boldness. It's a, place of, it's a place that you should be scared. I haven't followed very much, and I don't really care, to be honest with you, but I, uh, the Bill Cosby trial this past week was in the news. A year or so ago, he was, uh, was a hung jury as one of the accusers. Uh, they, they came to no conclusion, and of course, there's a retrial. And, and the 80-year-old Cosby, guilty or not guilty, it sounds to me like he's probably guilty. Obviously, the jurors, his peers, uh, convicted him of three counts, and I said he swore in the courtroom and he was frustrated. And uh, the 80-year-old is looking at 130 years of prison time. I saw just a soundbite on the news, the Parkland murderer, teenager, with his head hung down in his orange jumpsuit as he went into the courtroom, head down. I noticed a month or two ago, of course, the Valentine's Day slaying of the 17 students there in, that we all know about. He, uh, before he went to that courtroom, of course, immediately after he was brokered with his lawyers that uh, he would plead guilty if, as long as he doesn't get the death penalty. I would say that that young man, that murderer, he looked a little scared in that courtroom when I saw him. The courtroom can be a very sobering place. The Bible says in the middle of this hymn of love, it says that we may have boldness, get this, in the day of judgment. Now the Bible speaks about many judgments. Schofield identifies seven major judgments of the word of God. There's many more than that, but seven major judgments. There's the judgment, self-judgment of the believer. Uh, there's the judgment of uh, Israel. There's the judgment of fallen angels. There's the judgment of nations. But the Bible speaks about several judgments that we don't have time to speak about. But I want to give you three judgments today that the context addresses that are judgments that, uh, that should receive a lot of fear. And they, 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 someday they will certainly receive a lot of fear. We read in verse number 15, there is no fear in love. Perfect love casteth out fear. But I want you to consider the three sobering judgments this morning here. Turn in your Bibles, please, to, Genesis, to John chapter 19 to begin with this morning. And let's consider for a few minutes this morning the judgment 
at the cross, the judgment of the cross. In John chapter 17, or excuse me, John chapter 19, verse 17, Jesus has already gone through several mock trials, and he now stands before Pilate on that early morn of crucifixion day. The Bible says that they delivered him, verse 16. Verse 17 of John 19 says this, And bearing his cross, he went forth into a place called the to a place called the, uh, the place of his skull, which in the Hebrew is Golgotha, where they crucified him, and there two other with him on either side one and Jesus in the midst. I want you to consider the judgment of the cross this morning, and I want you to consider several things about it. Uh, first of all, I want you to consider the suffering at the cross. There are many that do not like to hear about the cross. The Bible says that Jesus, when he died on that cross, Isaiah 54, verse 14, gave the prophecy that his visage or his face was marred more than any man. If you follow the trials that night when Jesus, when he was brought before Caiaphas, the high priest, and then, of course, later on in Annas, and then to Herod, and, or Pilate, and then to Herod, and back to Pilate again. The Bible says they took his beard and they ripped it out of his face. They Platted him with a crown of thorns upon his head. They scourged him with a cat of nine tails. Contrary to what some people think, the Jews only scourged 39 times so they wouldn't break the law. But this was not a Jewish scourging, this was a Roman scourging. They scourged as long as they wanted to with the cat of nine tails. And that they did. And I stood three years ago on the pavement, as it's called, the place where Jesus, a room about, about the size of. Or, at that time, it was open, open air. Now it's underground about 30 feet. I stood in a room about this size where somewhere in that room where Jesus, on those stones, that pavement, Jesus was beaten, I believe stripped naked. He was beaten. This is all before he got to the cross. And then he took his cross and he carried it down the Via Della Rosa, the road of suffering. And he fell under the weight and Simon came and bore his, helped bear his cross. The suffering of the cross, of the, the, this judgment of the cross is more than any person could ever begin to comprehend in a million human lifetimes. Death's clock ticked from nine till three while scoffers mocked with demons glee. It's the most well-attested fact of history that Jesus Christ, 19 or 2017 years ago, or 18 years ago, came to this earth and was born of a virgin lived 33 years and went to the cross of Calvary and died on Calvary's cross. He suffered like no other. When I consider the cross, the judgment of the cross, I can't consider boldness. I consider suffering. But then when I consider the cross, when we consider this judgment of the cross, this judgment of Christ, if you will, consider with me secondly for a moment the scourge. You say, preacher, what do you mean by that? I'm not talking about the scourge, of the literal scourge of the cat of nine tails, but I'm talking about the scourge that he was made, according to Galatians 3.13, Christ hath redeemed us from the curse of the law, being made a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone that hangeth on a tree. Jesus was scourged that day. He was cursed that day. He bore his curse for us. When your coworkers at work tomorrow, when they get mad, they won't utter the name of, and let me just 
be blunt. They won't say, Allison Friday. They won't say, Ray Alvin. No, they'll curse the name that's above every name. He was the curse. Hollywood will curse the name, the most precious name. They will scourge his name. On that judgment day, that name, that precious name above all names, that name, the name of Jesus, of Nazareth, whom ye crucified, God raised from the dead. But that day that Jesus died on the cross, they mocked him and they said, if you be the Christ, come down from the cross. When I consider that first judgment, the judgment of the cross or the judgment of Christ, I think of the suffering, I think of the scourge, but then I think of the sin. 2 Corinthians 5.21 reminds us, for he, that's God the Father, hath made him to be sin for us. There was an exchange that took place. Our life for his, his life for ours. For he hath made him to be sin for us, who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. A songwriter said it this way, my sin, oh, the bliss of this glorious thought. My sin, not in part, but the whole, is nailed to the cross, and I bear it no more. Praise the Lord, praise the Lord, oh, my soul. You see, Jesus paid it all when he was on the cross. He died for all of your sins, all of my sins, past, present, and future. That's incomprehensible. My sins alone, let alone your sins, let alone the sins of the whole world. Jesus died for sin on that cross. The judgment of the cross was a judgment of sin. It was a scourge. It was suffering like no man's ever suffered. But then I want you to know, fourthly, when I consider this day on the cross, this judgment of the cross, consider for a few moments the silence. Psalm 22 and verse 1 says, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Why art thou so far from helping me? And from the words of my roaring, seven recorded statements are made of Jesus when he was on the cross of Calvary. One of those statements Jesus said in Matthew 27, it's recorded in verse number 46. In about the ninth hour, that's about 3 p.m., Jesus cried with a loud voice saying, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani. That is to say, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? One of the great mysteries of the Bible. Get it down. There are mysteries in the Bible. The secret things belong to the Lord. I can't explain this. I can just proclaim it. That's all I can do. I can't, I can't comprehend it. But Jesus, the God-man, the theanthropic union, Jesus, all God, all man, he died on the cross and he said, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? The heavenly father, Isaiah 53, turned his back on the son. And that day that Christ died on the cross, he, as he bore our sin, he bore it alone. Heaven's portals were silent. I think the greatest terror of the cross was not the suffering that he suffered for humankind. I think the greatest suffering of the cross was not the scourge that he endured and he endures to this day in the blasphemy of his name. I don't think the greatest terror of the cross is the fact that he bore my sin, all of it, past, present, and future on the cross. 
but all of your sin, past, present, and future on the cross. I don't think any of those things were the greatest terror of Jesus Christ, but I think the greatest terror was the silence. Because in Jesus, when he was in the Garden of Gethsemane, he prayed to his father in Matthew 26, 39, it's recorded, and he went a little further and fell on his face, and the Bible says, and with great drops of blood, he prayed, saying, Oh, my father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as thou wilt. He's the God of the impossible. The song says he could have called 10,000 angels to destroy the world and set them free. He could have called 12 legion of angels. He could have just, take those, just pulled his hands right off those nails and those, his feet right off those nails and he could have came down from that cross. He could have said as the mockers said, save thyself and save us as well. He could have come off that cross, but he stayed on the cross. To fulfill the will of his father. But his father was silent. You think of the cross, the judgment of the cross, the silence. But then consider quickly, quickly, fifthly with me this morning for just a moment, the sacrifice. Religion is all about Sacrifice. Pardon me, it just popped in my head. I was watching a movie, a documentary the other day. It was about Islam. How they, you know, everything they do. You know, just, I mean, it's just part of their culture. Yeah, by the way, I never buy hell on meat. I would never buy it. Some people tell me, oh, it tastes so good. I will not buy hell on meat. You know, you've heard of kosher, Jew, hell Islam. You see, even when they kill the goat or they kill the lamb, they have to torture that lamb by taking a knife up in the jugular and twisting it around. Let them slow bleed. Why? It's a sacrifice. This is a table of ordinance, not a table of sacrament. We're not going to invite you up after the service and have you partake of the Lord's body and blood. Say, preacher, where are you going? See, that's religion. That's, that's, he's got to be sacrificed every day. No, my friend, I want you to know when Jesus went to the cross, the Bible says that in Hebrews 9, 26, for then he must often have suffered since the foundation of the world. But as Hebrews says, this book of sacrifice, he's died on the cross once for all. Verse 26 goes on to say, but now... And once in the end of the world hath he appeared to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. Jesus paid it all, every bit of it. When he died on the cross, he said, it is finished, it's done. The sacrifices were complete. Religion adds to the finished work of Jesus Christ. Christianity is Jesus Christ. There is no Christianity without him, and he's all of Christianity. You see, on the, ju the judgment of the cross... He became the sacrifice once for all. And then I want you to consider lastly, back to our text, 1 John 4, verse 14, it says it again. Consider the Savior. Bible says, And we have seen and do testify that the Father sent the Son to be the Savior of the world. Back in 1 John 2, and verse number 2, we 
looked at that obviously a number of weeks ago. And he is the propitiation for our sins. And not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. 1 John 4.10 or 1 Timothy 4.10 reminds us, we trust in the living God who is the Savior of all men, especially those that believe. You see, Christ died for all, but Christ's blood is not efficacious. Will not, will not, not all will come to him to be saved. Jesus said in John's gospel, that all, and you will not come to me that you might be saved. Jesus died for man's sins. He died as a sin bearer. When he went to that cross, he gladly, Hebrews chapter 12, he went to that cross, but I would not say he went boldly. He went willingly, obediently to the cross of Calvary. The first judgment that we see alluded to in 1 John chapter 4 is his judgment of the cross. But then secondly, there's a second judgment that's very that everyone in this room will go to one of these two next judgments. There's the judgment, secondly, of the lost, or of the unsaved, or of the non-Christian. Or let me be very blunt, the person that's never been born again. Jesus said, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. In Revelation 20, would you take your Bibles, please, and turn to the Revelation 20, the second to last chapter in the Bible. Let me very quickly, as we give a synopsis of this judgment of the lost, the events of Revelation 20, starting in verse number 11, are events that take place after the catching away of the church, the rapture, the catching away of Jesus' bride, and what we know of as a rapture. Then the Bible speaks of a specific seven-year tribulational period of time. It's called the time of Jacob's or Israel's trouble, the 70th week of Daniel, where God will deal with the Jewish people once again the Jewish nation. It's interesting, we'll touch on it tonight. The, Jews, the Jewish nation is going to be 70 years old here in just a couple of weeks. Rebirthed, the rebirth of Israel. The fig tree, we'll talk about it tonight. God, this nation, God says, i got one more week to deal with you with. And it's a 70-year tribulation period. And then in Revelation 20, and I'm fast-forwarding and going through a 1,007 years of history, we read about the 1,000-year millennial kingdom reign the Jehovah Witnesses have that messed up, but they know about some kingdom reign. And the Bible speaks about it in verses uh, in chapter 20, the early, the early verses of the chapter. But at least 1,007 years from right now, there's going to be an event that takes place, a judgment of the lost that takes place in verse number 11. And I saw a great white throne, and him that sat upon it, from whose face the earth and heaven fled away. And there was found no place for them. I want you to consider this judgment of the lost. First of all, the character of the judgment for a moment. Three things about this character of this judgment. First of all, it says it's going to be a great judgment. It's a great white throne. I get worked up when I see what's happening in the news. And I'm, I'm thankful. Don't misunderstand me. Let me just interject. You know, something happened that hasn't happened in 68 years. That is the president of, the so-called president of North Korea went south of the demilitarized zone there and went into South Korea. That was big news. They say that they're, gonna, they're committing to denuclearization. I'll believe it when I see it. I, I would like to think that, which, that good things are going to happen, but... Uh, I don't trust a snake. I don't trust a serpent. Kim Jong-il, they're trying to make him look like a, 
respectable statesman. He's a mass murderer. But he has a throne. And he has great power. And he's used that power to enslave his own people. There are thrones all over this world this morning with kings and queens sitting upon them. But I want you to know there's no greater throne than this throne that's going to be at this great white throne judgment. The character of this throne, it's great. It's the greatest judgment there's ever been or ever will be outside the cross of Calvary. It's a great and it's a white throne picturing this purity and the symbolic and the holiness of this, the perfectness of this judgment. Shall not the judge of all the earth do right? God will set all the records straight. Yea, let God be true and every man a liar. He never makes a miscall. He never, never is going to be wrong in his judgment. This is a great, holy, white throne, and it is a throne. And it's, if he's the king of kings, and he is, and if he's the Lord of lords, this is the throne of thrones. Barbara Bush died the other week. I haven't met a lot of famous people, but I try to keep track. I've met some senators. I've met some representatives. I've met some famous uh, ball players, as you, some of you know. I've met some famous people in this world. But I got about this far away from Barbara Bush down at uh, Torrington Town Hall 20-some years ago when her husband was running for the presidency. I wanted to shake her hand, but she got by me before I could uh, shake her hand. Closest I ever got to royalty. I wouldn't have gotten nervous per se, but I was a little excited. Hey, I get to meet the, the First Lady of the United States of America. Pretty impressive, I suppose. Shake her hand. But this is a throne that the Bible says that the king that sits upon this, that from whose face the heavens and the earth fled away, the angels can't even look at him. He's so holy. And no man has seen God at any time, but Jesus sits upon this throne. I see the character of this throne, but then secondly, notice just quickly the, the source of this judgment. No, no, I'm sorry, the character of the judgment, but then the people of the judgment. Look at verse 12, back to Revelation 20. And I saw the dead... Small and great stand before God. The Bible says, as it is pointed unto man, wants to die, but after this, a judgment. Just this week, in fact, I have to be careful here, in about two and a half hours, we're going to have a service here at our church I didn't tell you about. But in last week, or week before last, we had several people died. I thought I was going to have one or maybe two funerals this past week, but folks didn't want me to have the funeral, didn't want to have a well, we won't go any further than that. I was canceled out. They didn't have a funeral, a Christian funeral, but they, they still died. So this, this, the people of this death, this, this judgment, are those that have died, those that are not in Christ. And the Bible defines them, small and great, rich and poor, bond and free, man or woman, Jew and Gentile. All are one. Every human being that's never received Jesus as their Savior are the people of this judgment. There's so many people that are so cavalier in regards to the things of God. They have no problem asking God to damn on many things, of course. They have no problem using that name that's above every name in blasphemy, as we've already talked about. They're cavalier about Christianity. They're cavalier about the Word of God. They're cavalier about about uh, God himself and about Jesus Christ, his son. They mock him and they say, well, I'll stand in on my own merits. I'll stand on my good works. If he's real, he'll accept me like I am. I'm so wonderful. Many, many people believe that. 
Shakespeare said, conscience doth make cowards of us all. When God reveals the truth, you see, notice thirdly, the source of judgment, this judgment, this great right throne judgment. The Bible says in verse number 12, the latter part of the verse, middle part of the verse, and the books were open. And another book was open, which were judged out of the, and the dead were judged out of those things which were written in the books, according to their works. Just this past week, a book was opened. It's called, uh, you saw the California murderer that they caught 40 years after the fact. It was through DNA. They linked him to a crime. You see, the genetic code, a book where our members are all inscribed in the book. He knows our DNA. The Bible speaks about at least about six different books, not mentioning the Bible itself. There's a book of tears. There's a book of rewards. There's many different books. There's a book of life. There's a Lamb's book of life, two different books, I believe. Lamb, a book of life for everybody that's ever been conceived is in that book of life. Lamb's book of life, or only those that are, that, are, that are received Christ as Savior in that book. The books are opened. This is the source of this judgment. And we go to, and that leads us to the basis of this judgment. And they were judged, look at verse number 12 again, the last part of the verse now. The Bible says, and they were, they were judged out of things written in the books according to their works. Oh, a lot of people want to be judged according to their works. They'll get their chance. Isaiah 53 reminds us all of our righteousness are as filthy rags. Not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to his mercy have saved us. Our works, there's none that doeth good, no, not one. We're all gone out of the way. We're together becoming profitable. There's none that doeth good. No, not one. We castigate people because we find out, because there, there was a video made of them years ago, or somebody found out that this person committed this heinous crime or this adulterous deed or what have you, and it's found out, and all of a sudden they're worthless, they're rotten with the whole, many times the whole world, or even with Christians and so forth. And many times the difference between them and us is that their book has been revealed, our book has not. The basis of all these good people, all these religious people. Well, I, I'll trust in my good works to take me to heaven. Okay. God will give you that opportunity. And their works will be found wanting. So we see this, this judgment that right now there's people that are bold about dying and not worrying about it. Six feet under, that's, that's everything's okay after that. God will accept me as I am. There's a character. It's a great white throne. There's the people of this judgment. There's the dead, small and great, no respect to persons. There's the source, the books of this judgment. Then there's the basis of the judgment. But lastly, look at verse 15. Very sobering verse. Let me read verse 14. And death and hell were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. All the death is, first death is separation. Second death is separation. First death is separation man from man. Second death is separation God from man. We have this, and it's for eternity. And whosoever, verse number 15, was not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. I know people don't like to hear about hell. I don't like to preach about hell either. 
Thank you. And you're right, I do. You know, confession is good for the soul, not good for the reputation. So let me go a little further and impugn my reputation. I used to preach more on hell. It's hard. I know that's a cop-out. I don't like to do it. I remember... It's been a number of times over the years that I've shared with somebody that needs to be saved. I've talked about hell. It's brought me to tears. I've been at at least two people's feet crying, literally on my knees, begging them to get saved. They just thought I was crazy. Just a little loopy. Just a little bit too much religion. Well, I don't like to believe in hell. I'm going to deny it so it won't be real. You can deny the Holocaust too, but it's still real. You can't change hell by your opinion. You can't change hell by wishing it wasn't real. And if you got saved, you got saved from hell. The punishment of this judgment. It says, if you're still in Revelation 21, look at one more verse. Verse 8, but the fearful and the unbelieving and the abominable and murderers and whoremongers and sorcerers, that's the Greek word pharmakios, by the way, we get our word pharmacy from, or drug users, and idolaters. And all liars shall have their part in the lake which burneth with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. I don't like to think of my relatives that never received Christ as their Savior in hell. I want to deny it in my flesh, but in my spirit I cannot. Yea, let God be true, but every man a liar. You see, this judgment, oh, there's many people that are bold right now. They mock the things of Christianity. They mock the things of the cross. They mock the Christ. They mock the preaching of the word of God. They laugh at all this as just fairy tale or fantasy or fiction or they have all their psychological ways to explain it away. But I want you to know that the Bible gives clear evidence of not only the judgment of the cross of Christ, but it gives clear evidence of the coming judgment of the lost. But then back to our text once more, and let's finish up in our text. We'll stay right there in 1 John 4 now as we finish up this morning. Notice the third judgment, and let me read our text verse again, verse number 17. Herein is our love made perfect, that we may have boldness in the day of judgment, the day of our judgment. I'm talking to Christians now, if you've been born again or saved. This is the judgment of the saved. Romans 14.10 says, for we must all stand before the judgment seat, or the bema seat is the Greek word. Ten times we find that word bema, or judgment seat in the New Testament. The bema seat of Christ. 2 Corinthians 5.10 says, For we, that's every Christian, must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that everyone may receive the things done in his body according to whether it be, what he hath done, whether it be good or bad. 
I want to ask you a couple questions. I'm not going to give you an answer. I'll let you figure it out. I ask you question number one this morning. Are there tears in heaven? John 11:35, the shortest verse in the Bible. Can you quote it with me? Jesus wept. Luke 12, or excuse me, Luke 22 and verse number 62, one of the other next shortest verses in the Bible. The Bible says, and Peter went out and wept bitterly. When the eyes of Jesus from about the distance of this room, when the eyes of Jesus on crucifixion night or betrayal night, when he turned and looked at Peter after he denied him three times, the Bible says he went out and wept bitterly when he saw Jesus. Revelation 21 and verse 4, you need not turn there again, but the Bible says there that, and God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes. Now, who's he wiping tears away from their eyes from? Who's those people specifically? Well, Revelation 20, verses 11 through 15, talk about the great white throne of judgment, and there is found no place for them. They're cast into hell. So he'll wipe away all tears from their eyes. Neither shall there be any more death. Yes, the death, second death has already been taken care of. It's talking to Christians. Neither sorrow nor crying. Neither shall there be any more pain, for the former things are passed away. I ask you, are there tears in heaven? Well, I would submit to you this much. There will be tears at least for a thousand, seven more years from right now. When Jesus, sometime after that great right throne judgment, God says he's going to wipe away all tears from their eyes. Well, there will be tears at the judgment seat of Christ. I'll let you figure it out. But then I ask you a second question that I won't answer. Will there be trembling? Will there be trembling? Acts 24 and 25, a very wicked governor by the name of Felix, Felix and his very wicked wife as well. When Paul stood before his throne, he reasoned with him of righteousness, temperance, and judgment to come. The Bible says, Felix trembled and answered, Go thy way, for it's this time. When I have a convenient season, I will call for thee. I don't want to hear about it. Not right now. You made me nervous. You made me uncomfortable. People go through their whole life don't tell me anything about that Bible. It makes me uncomfortable. Don't tell me anything about judgment to come. I don't want to hear it. I don't want to believe in hell, so therefore it won't exist. Don't tell me that Jesus died for my sins and I need to receive him as my Savior. Don't tell me. I want to believe that God's a God of love and everybody will go to heaven. Felix, when he heard of reason, that pagan Roman governor that he was, when he heard of righteousness, temperance, and judgment, he trembled. In 2 Corinthians 5, verse 11, I ask you the question for the third time. Will there be trembling in the great right throne judgment, or the, excuse me, the judgment seat of Christ? Well, the Bible says in 2 Corinthians 5, 11, knowing therefore the terror of the Lord, we persuade men. Let us see the third proposition. I'll ask you the question and I'll leave it unanswered. Are there tears in heaven? Will there be trembling at the judgment seat of Christ? Will some suffer loss? 
You see, what you've done for Jesus Christ, if you've received Jesus Christ as your Savior, you are in Christ. Your redemption is complete. There is no judgment whether or not you are a Christian or any longer. There's no condemnation to them that are in Christ Jesus. But according to 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse number 11, for other foundation can no man lay than that is laid, which is Jesus Christ. There are several different foundational materials, building materials we can build our Christian life on. Gold, silver, precious stone, those are things that withstand the fire. Wood, hay, and stubble, those cannot withstand fire. The Bible says, every man's work shall be tried of what sort it is, for the day shall declare it by fire, the purifying fires of God. If any man's work remain, he shall, receive, he shall receive a reward. But if any man's work be burned, he shall suffer loss. Yet he himself, the Bible says, 1 Corinthians 3, 15, shall be saved yet so as by fire. Christian, you cannot lose your redemption. You cannot lose your salvation, but you can lose your rewards. Revelation 3 says it very clearly. Behold, I come quickly. Hold that fast which thou hast, that no man take thy crown. You see, the judgment, the judgment of the saved, I ask you, are there going to be tears in heaven at that judgment seat? Will there be trembling? Will there be loss? There will certainly be loss. But then, as I was studying back to our text, back to 1 John 4, one, sla- one last time now, as I was meditating and reading the word of God, verse 17 once more, herein is our love made perfect, that we may... John said that we, me, and you may have boldness in the day of judgment because as he is, so are we in this world. Let me give you rapid fire and I close with an illustration. But how can, some will have boldness at the judgment seat. Jesus didn't go to the cross boldly, if you will. He went gladly, he went willingly, he went obedient to his father. Oh, there are many that are going headlong. They're on their way to hell. They're denying Jesus Christ as Savior. They're denying Christianity. They're denying the Bible. They will, they're, right now they're bold, but when they get to the great red throne judgment, there'll be no boldness. They'll try to hide from him who sits upon the throne. And they'll, 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 there'll be no place to hide. They'll find, there'll be no place for them. But this judgment of the saved... Anybody, and I do this quickly here, we have to wrap things up here, but are you a little embarrassed, Christian, about some things or opportunities that you've had in your life to serve God in those wasted years and wasted weeks or days or times where you denied Christ? Are you a little embarrassed about that, a little ashamed about that? I am. And I thank God it's under the blood. I'm forgiven. But I still can't forget those times I've failed him and more times than I wanted to admit. If I get nervous in a secular, in a civil courtroom, a human courtroom with a secular judge, you ever been there? I've been there. What's going to happen? What am I going to say? He's just a human being, a sinner like I am on that, with a robe on. If I get nervous of that, will I be trembling at the throne of the Most High God? Will I suffer loss? But will I have boldness? 
Let me just give it to rapid fire. I'm not going to take time. Let me just give you the points. How can we have boldness in the day of judgment? First of all, we walk in love. That's what this whole chapter is all about. Ephesians 5, 2 says it this way. And walk in love as Christ has also hath loved us and hath given himself for an offering as a sacrifice, and a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling savor. Walk in love. This whole chapter and the next chapter, half chapter, is all about this subject of walking in love that we may have boldness in the day of judgment. Then fight the good fight of faith. Fight the good fight. We are in a war. Fight the good fight, Christian. Finish the course. It's not how well you start. It's how well you end. We're not over. It's not, the race is not over yet. And then 1 Timothy, or 1 John chapter 3, verses 2 and 3. And every man that has this hope in him purifies himself even as he is pure. Keep looking up. When you see all these things come to pass, look up for your redemption draweth nigh. I've studied the word for a long time, and I admit the, the more you study, the more you realize these, there's a lot of things you don't know. I don't know if there's going to be tears at the judgment seat of Christ. I don't know if there's going to be trembling. Let me give you the truth to know. At the judgment bema seat of Christ, there should be some tears. There should be some tears. There should be some trembling. We serve the fear of the Lord is clean. Do you have a reverential fear of God? Most of us fear our bosses more than we fear the sovereign of the universe. There should be some tears, there should be some trembling, and there should be even some terror. 1 Corinthians 5, 11, knowing therefore the terror of the Lord, the Greek word is the word phobos, we get our word phobia from. We know phobia is fear. There should be some terror, but one thing I know for sure, there will definitely be tenderness. You see, perfect love casts out fear. Fear hath torment. Jesus is going to say, well done, thou good and faithful servant. I end with a silly illustration, but it's so true. It's one of my girl grandchildren. I got six of them now. Met five of them. Haven't met the sixth one yet. I love them all. I know I'm an ugly guy. I can't help it. That's the way God made me. But I try to get my little granddaughters to love me and kiss me. And I come give grandpa a kiss and hug. <laughs> they run away from me. I just want a little bit of love. And as they run away from me, I say these words to them. I love you anyhow. And I want you to know that he loves us with an everlasting love. And John says it this way. Here in his love. Here in his our love made perfect. That we may have boldness in the day of day of judgment because as he is so are we in this world when God looks at us positionally in Christ Jesus we are already made perfect in Christ Jesus it's our practical walk that needs work but positionally he sees us as perfect we're in his perfect love oh I know that's what the title of the message I know there should be no fear in the day of judgment, because perfect love casteth out fear. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word this morning.
Lord, we don't have cockiness in the day of judgment. Oh, that would be wrong. That would be, we don't have pride in the day of judgment. But Lord, we can have Holy Spirit boldness. If we walk in your grace, if we walk in love, and we walk humbly, we fight the good fight of faith, we finish our course, we keep the faith. Lord, we keep looking up until you come. Lord, we can be like John and be with John. We can have boldness on that day that we stand before your throne and hear those wonderful words, well done, thou good and faithful servant, enter thou into the joy of the Lord. I pray for Christians this morning. Pray that you'd work in hearts and lives. Lord, maybe there's those that need to receive Christ as their Savior today. Spirit of God, do the work of grace that only you can do in their heart and life. Pray you bless in these moments of invitation. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. As we stand together, 157 in the hymn book. 157, I can sing all four verses of that famous song.